I, uh, several, I'll just tell you a little bit about me. Several, in this story, you'll understand a little bit about me. Uh, several years ago, I went to a writer's conference. And at this conference, I was told that I needed to have an elevator pitch. I don't know if anybody is familiar with that phrase. But what that means is you have to be able to explain who you are, what you write, why you write it, and to whom you write it in a couple of sentences. And I struggled as, as hard as I could. I could not come up with a couple sentences that described what I was about until I listened to like a TED talk one time. And, and a, the person who was um, making the presentation said that instead of asking your employees what they do, ask them why they do it. And it, instead of hearing the dry details of their life, oh, I filed claims for the state of New York, or you'll hear, well, I work hard so I can send my kids to college. And you'll hear instead of just the, the kind of boring details of their life, you'll hear their hearts and their dreams and what their values are. And so when I heard that talk, I thought, I can answer that question. I can figure out what I do, why I do it, and for whom I do it by answering that question. And I realized at the time that my elevator pitch, if you will, is that I wake up every morning eager to hear God's voice of love and then to share it through my writing and through my words and through my life. And when I came to that kind of sentence that grounded me, it kind of helped me understand who I was and what I was to be about and what I was to do. So I took that same approach as I uh, was studying over the scripture this morning, and I'm eager to share with you um, what God's voice of love poured into my heart around the scripture so that I can give it away and trust that the Lord will also pour love into your heart through these words. So will you pray with me? That's a, that's a tall assignment, so I'm, I'm ready to rely upon the Holy Spirit to help it come to be, and on your prayers as well. So, loving God, we give you this time. We give you these words. I thank you that you're pre you have prepared our hearts to receive your word. Would you transcend my voice and the words I speak? Transcend them and make them into holy messages for each one of us today, myself included. I pray in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. I believe everything recorded in the scripture is for our benefit, that there's nothing random or wasted. Every word, every action of Jesus is useful for our um, training and discipleship. So, um, I approached the word asking the Holy Spirit what Jesus is trying to teach me about how to live the life I've been given and how to live the life you've been given. So the scripture that was read this morning um, reminded me of a situation in my life um, many years ago now, maybe about 15 years ago or so, um, when my dad was about 75 years old and he... Uh, my mom had been dead for about three years, and Jack and I learned that my dad was involved in a romantic relationship. So Jack and I were kind of going, hmm, that's kind of interesting. I'm eager to hear more about it. And our um, eagerness to hear about it kind of turned to dismay when we met the woman my dad was involved with. She was like 25 years old, and my dad was 75. And, you know, we were kind of trying to give it a little bit of grace, but it turns out, long story short, that she was basically a gold digger. She took from my dad most of his money, um, and she used it to feed her heroin addiction. She abused him emotionally, and when my sisters and I and Jack tried to talk to my dad about the situation, he would not hear it. He would not hear from us. He says, I love her. 
So that was really freaked me out, totally. And all my family got a little freaked out by that. But there wasn't much we could do about it. You know, my dad was an adult. He was making his choices. Um, all we could do is, you know, support and pray. But it didn't take long for my dad's love to turn to fear. He admitted to us that he was afraid of her. He was afraid to ask her to leave his home because, oh, I forgot to tell you, she was also married. <laughs> and she had put a trailer in my, on my dad's property and moved her husband into the trailer. And my father was afraid of what would happen to him or his property if he asked her to leave. So he lived in fear. The last time Jack and I went to my dad's house, I think, he wouldn't let us in. He was poking out the window going, go away, go away. Can you imagine how freaked out I was? And so it all kind of came to a head when um, she and her husband had decided to have this Thanksgiving gathering and invite all the extended family to come. And so my sisters and I and Jack, we all kind of met the night before to powwow. You know, what are we, we have to do something. We have to make some sort of an intervention happen here. And I was just consumed with anxiousness and with fear. I was afraid for my dad's well-being. I was afraid for um, his mental state. It was out of my control. There was not much I could do about it. So when I read the gospel this morning, I... Um, I resonated with what Jesus was experiencing when he talks about himself, his heart being sad to the point of death, and that where he was so consumed with fear, with terror and distress. And I think this scripture is teaching us how to face difficult situations. When trials lie ahead of us that we dread, when we are anticipating a loss, when our loved ones are making choices that are leading them to death instead of to life, Jesus has something to teach us about how to face those situations and how to handle them. And um, as we read, or as um, it was read this morning, Jesus basically says to these friends of his, stay awake, pay attention. I have something important to teach you about, about facing these trials. Watch me and I'll show you how to handle them. Don't fall asleep. Keep your eye fixed on me because you're going to learn how to move to peace and trust, even in the face of what is death or what seems like it would be death. I needed this lesson at that time, and I still do need it. And I think you need it as well. Because there are or there will be times in your life, in your life when you are encountering a difficult situation or when anger flares up and consumes you and it takes over your thoughts and your minds and your actions or when there's a task ahead of you that fills you with dread or there's a loss so profound that you feel you have to numb yourself to avoid the pain. Those situations are in our lives now or are, waiting to, or are waiting for us to encounter. So we need this lesson. So after the, Passover, Jesus, after the Passover dinner, Jesus told them, you know, all about what was coming up in the next day or so about his um, appointment with uh, his accusers and what would follow from that. And so... Those disciples, they pledged to stay with, and Peter especially was very vocal about it. You know, I'll, I'll never leave you. I'll never desert you. And so they left the dinner place, and they went out to this place where um, Jesus went to pray, a place called Gethsemane. And um, <clears throat> he took those people along with him when he went to pray. So the first thing I notice is that um, in facing difficult times, you don't do it alone. You bring a community with you. Um, 
you know, knowing what was ahead of him and knowing what he needed to do in order to face what was ahead of him, he needed a very intimate, authentic conversation with his Abba, with his father. But it wasn't just him. He knew he also needed the support of friends to care, help him carry the weight of his, his fear and his anguish. Um, and I can't help but think that if Jesus needed the company of friends during a difficult time, how much more I need it and how much more each of us needs it. We need faithful friends who will tear the tiles off the roof of the house in order to lower our paralyzed body down on a mat into the feet of Jesus. We need those kind of friends. But here's the deal. We need them, but they're going to disappoint us. Uh, I'm sure Peter, James, and John started out with their hearts set on prayer when they accompanied Jesus, but they just had this big dinner. It was late at night, you know. <sighs> Nature took its course, and they fell asleep. And like them, our friends will have good intentions, and their desire will be to support us, but they're only human, and they will fall asleep, and they will let us down. And yet... We should not give up on them. Jesus didn't give up on them. Jesus didn't give up on his disciples. He kept going back to them and seemed sort of surprised to find them sleeping. But I noticed that he grants them such grace when he wakes them up. And he helps them to know their own hearts. He sees and names their good intentions. He reminds them of what their true heart really wants to do. He says, I know who you are. He says, um, I know your spirit is willing, meaning your motivation and your intention is true and good, but your flesh is weak. Your human nature takes over. So I love how Jesus says, let me remind you of who you are. And that can be our role in the lives of our friends. When they let us down, we can say basically, hey, I know you love me. I know you're doing your best to support me. And I know you're only human, and I know that you're going to screw up and and." not be there for me like I think you should be. But I will keep depending on you because we're in this together. Jesus didn't just write them off. So let's, like Jesus, let's vulnerably, vulnerably offer grace and forgiveness to them because <laughs> table's going to turn pretty soon and I'm going to be the one who's falling asleep on my friend who's asked me to pray for them and I'm going to need their grace and their patience and their mercy and their reminder that we're in it together. I don't have to be perfect. You don't have to be perfect. We just need to be, have the commitment to be together in it. So the first thing I noticed that Jesus does when he was getting ready to face this trial is gather a community, an imperfect community, but people with whom he could share his burden with. That's the first point. Um, the second point that we come to is that he prayed. Um, yeah, he gathered a community and then he prayed. But I want to say this about the prayer. It's not just about the event or the conflict or the circumstances that Jesus prays about. It involves bringing your emotional reaction to the event or the conflict into your prayer. Jesus did that very thing. It says, and he began to feel terror and anguish. Feel terror and anguish. And he said to them, my soul is sorrowful to the point of death. I don't know where in scripture we see the humanity of Jesus shine forth more clearly than in this scene. Um, he truly felt anguish and deep sorrow as he prepared to face his death and the torture that would precede it. 
his prayer wasn't a pretty neat little one. It was really true and raw and down and dirty. In Luke's account of this um, event, Luke, the physician, says that he sweated drops of blood. And that's a real thing. I, I didn't, I mean, I assumed it was a real thing, but I looked it up. It's called hemo, let me, hemotohydrosis. And it's, what it happens, it's a real condition where it's, it's rare, but when someone's suffering from extreme anxiety, the blood vessels around their sweat glands rupture, and the blood seeps into their sweat glands and pours out through their pores. This is what happened to Jesus as he was praying about um, what he had to face. Um, talk about <laughs> terror and anguish. My fear and anguish over my father didn't lead to sweats of blood, but it did keep me awake <laughs> a lot and, and worrying and talking to everybody I could think of about how to solve this situation that I was so fearful of. Um, but Jesus really felt those things. And he didn't want to die on the cross. He admits it. You know, He wanted it to pass. He asked God to let it pass. The thought of it distressed his soul and made him sorrowful. And he needed to talk with his Abba about this. So his prayer process included experiencing and naming his raw emotions. He said it out loud. And he felt them so profoundly that he fell to the ground, writhing in pain and anguish. He didn't rush to thy will be done. The work of prayer is not necessarily to change the situation, but to let the situation change you. You're talking about being transformed into a disciple. Prayer is the work where a lot of that um, transformation takes place. Remember um, that all things God allows into your life are useful in God's hands for your transformation and growth in grace. The situation you dread, the person with whom you struggle, all are potential tools in the hand of God to shape your character and your soul into the maturity that Christ has in mind for you. Most of the time, we cannot change the situation. We can, though, change our relationship to the situation. Uh, my dad was making really terrible choices that brought great fear to me and my sisters and to Jack, and there was nothing I could do about that. In fact, I have one of my brother-in-law's I think he was joking, said he knew a guy who for the right amount of money could get rid of the problem for us. And we had to say, I don't think that's the route we need to go on this, in this situation, but thanks for the thought. Um, so I couldn't change the situation, but what I could do is let my fear, pardon me, I'm reading my little subnote here, lead me, let my fear lead me to my heart's desire for my dad, which was, Bottom line, I wanted my dad to be loved for himself, not for what he offered, not for his money, not for the security that he provided this person. I wanted him to know himself so loved that he would be secure and safe, safe, and he could say no to this woman. And when I reached that place of my true heart's desire, I was able to interact with them, not out of fear and dread and demanding. I was more able to react and relate to them out of a place of calm and love and peace. Um, ultimately, thank goodness, my dad get, did get extricated from that situation, but he literally had to leave the state. <laughs> he told her that he, ha he was moving back to his home state of Oklahoma and she wouldn't go with him, so thank goodness he, he did get out of that, but he got out of it with about 
a lot less money <laughs> than he started out the situation with. So um, prayer, our relationship to these situations can transform us into the person that Christ has in mind for us to be. Um, and it happens when we invite our emotional reactions about the situation into the prayer chamber of our heart and let the light of Christ to shine on them. And this, friends, is really hard work. Because oftentimes these emotions, these strong reactions we're having to the situation are very big and they're very powerful. And they come in, when we let them enter, enter into us, they take over our thoughts and our actions. And we kind of, what was meant to be our servants, which are our emotions that God gave us, ends up being our masters. We end up serving them. We let them run the show. Because emotions are, um, we often don't want them to come in because we think we shouldn't be feeling that or we're ashamed of it or um, we are scared of it. But these emotions are given to us by God to serve us. In themselves, they are neutral. They're pure and um, intend to help us along the path of life. But sadly, we don't live in a perfect world. And so these emotions that God gave us to help us navigate life instead um, are, have been bent by sin, if you will, and they are, um, as I said, become our, can become our masters instead of our servants. So in prayer, what I think Jesus does, models for us, is to make room in our heart for these big, strong, powerful emotions to come in. Um, a couple weeks ago, I was in California leading a spiritual formation retreat, and I meet with the same group of women. I've met with them for like 15 years, so when we gather, it's like very holy. You know, it's like you hit the ground running because we know each other so well, and we have such a long history together. And one of the women in this group has a very difficult marriage, and we've been praying with her for 10 years that God would help break through, and she, the dynamic of their relationship would shift so there'd be more forgiveness and honor, et cetera, et cetera. And so the first night we gathered, we were all checking in with one another about how the state of our soul and how things have been going in the areas of each other's lives that we've been praying about. And she reported that she and her husband had started going to this new counselor, and this new counselor's telling them these wonderful things, and they're learning how to embrace each other in forgiveness rather than demand each other and be angry all the time. And I should be happy for her, right? Yeah, I mean, this is a great thing. It's an answer to prayer. We've been praying for 10 years. But all I'm aware of is that I'm angry and resentful because this counselor is getting credit for things I've been telling this woman for the last 15 years. What? What about me? I know it's not very pretty. I'm sorry. But it's pretty raw. I felt really um, angry and resentful, and I had to just kind of hold it in because I couldn't express it right then. But later, I did go into my little prayer chamber and in practiced a prayer that I have grown to really think love and think it's really a life-changing prayer type of prayer. It's called the welcoming prayer. And that's what Dick was talking about. I'm going to kind of describe it a little bit um, today or it, during this next few minutes. But if you'd like to know more about it, you can meet us in the lounge, right, Jillian? And we'll talk a little bit more about it and get, have an opportunity to practice it together. Um, so, but basically, this is kind of the nutshell of it. I went to a quiet place and, you know, left the group and went to my uh, room. And I kind of quieted my soul, let my heart get quiet. Tried to connect with the part of me that is 
in union with God. The part, of, the part of me where the image of God has created a spark of life that is um, true and loving. I tried to settle down and get in touch with that place. And then from that place, I invited my resentment to join God and me and tell me what wisdom this resentment has to offer me and why she was so agitated and resentful. And I was surprised in my prayer when um, what kind of entered the chamber of my heart was pride. I don't know why I should be surprised by that, but pride entered kind of stomping around, demanding credit, ex expecting honor and appreciation for all the wisdom and years she's poured into this person's life. Um, so what I did, and this is the trick of pr welcoming prayer, is I practiced offering this part of myself because this emotional reaction was, is a part of myself. I practiced offering this part of myself grace and compassion. God and I spoke to myself like a perfect parent would speak to her child when she's trying to calm her down. She listens through the rants to what's really going on inside the heart, to, to what the true ache is, what the true heart's desire is. And as I just offered myself this grace and this compassionate listening, I noticed that my pride started calming down. It got a little stiller. And she said to me, I, actually I said to myself, the part of me that was um, resentful, I said, I know you want to be seen and I know you want to be useful for the kingdom and you want to be seen as someone who's helpful for, to the people you love. I see you and I know your heart's desire. Trust me. Because oftentimes these strong emotional reactions are telling us something about ourselves that we either don't want to hear or we don't know how to hear. So it takes practice to make space in our lives to let these emotions um, and these strong emotional reactions enter in. I know I could have um, repressed my resentment for the rest of the weekend or told myself, you shouldn't feel that. Or I might have held it against this friend of mine and gone on for the whole weekend just being a little bit angry that she doesn't really listen to me or appreciate what I offer. Or prayed, God, just take away my pride. It's ugly, I don't want it, take it away. But I noticed that Jesus, in this encounter with his Abba Father, after he checked on his friends, it says, he went a little deeper and threw himself on the ground and prayed. And like Jesus, and in this prayer, I went a little deeper. And I laid bare my emotions, and my heart changed in this time of prayer from resentment to joy. I could celebrate what she was experiencing in her marriage. I found this hard work, this, inner, this welcoming prayer, this welcoming our emotions into our chamber of our hearts, because I'm often uncomfortable with the feelings I get when I allow myself to examine these strong emotions. God desired, but I know that God desires truth in the inner heart, as it says in Psalm 51. So I must, if I'm truly going to pray, I must admit my true feelings. And it's, but it, this type of work is very worthy because Jesus wants all of me to come under the sway of the Holy Spirit. And my resentment was guarding my ego and not allowing me to love. And that's the goal, to be transformed into love, right? And into a loving person. So this resentment needed to um, be examined in the light of the Holy Spirit. Intense emotional reactions are symptoms in our lives that we're attached to our own understanding of what we need to be happy 
or how we think the world should operate. So whenever we have these strong reactions, we should kind of consider, hmm, what's that about? Learn to ask ourselves that, that question. Um, I, I think of Mary and Martha in the scripture. Um, you all know the story where Martha was busy in the kitchen and Mary chose the one needful thing. She was sitting at the feet of Jesus and listening to his words. And um, we know that something was going wrong with Martha's motivation when we see the fruit of her emotional response. It says, she, went, she told Jesus to yell at Mary, basically. Tell her to get in the kitchen and help me. <laughs> Come on. And um, so Jesus was not disappointed with Martha because of her actions. He was, um, rather, he was, uh, it was because of her motivation. And we know her true motive because we see how she was um, angry and resentful toward Mary. So what we need to do is invite our raw and maybe our inappropriate emotions into the light and grace of Christ so that we can get to thy will be done and let it be authentic. Not an externally applied band-aid, not one where we kind of will, will power our way into thy will be done, but rather trustingly and grace, grace, graciously trusting that the Father's will is good and good for me and good for the world that God so loves. Um, so the good news is that we can get to that place by God's grace, at least for a moment anyway. But sadly, such a prayer is not done once and then done with. We have to return to it over and over again. Jesus had to pray the same prayer twice in this scene. How many times am I going to have to pray for my pride to relax so that I can be a true loving person? Um, every time we welcome these kind of strong emotional reactions that we're not usually comfortable with experiencing, they become more and more subject to the love of God, and they let go of their need to control us. A quote from Henry Nouwen, one of my favorite quotes, is, Demons love darkness and hiddenness. Interferes and struggles, which remain isolated, develop great power over us. But when we talk about them in a spirit of trust, they can be looked at and dealt with. Once brought into the light of mutual love, demons lose their power and quickly leave us. Henry Nouwen, The Road to Daybreak. So Jesus gathered a community, not a perfect community, but people he could share his heart with. He let his raw emotions be expressed and experienced, and he prayed about them. And finally, Jesus was able to say, thy will be done, because he trusted his father. He knew that his father was good, like you had talked about last week, Dick. So when facing a difficult situation or a trial, and you consider whether or not God is trustworthy, can you really trust God to carry you through the situation? Or can you really trust that God has your good at heart? Another favorite quote of mine from Hannah Whittle Smith helps orient, reorient myself towards trusting God's goodwill. She says, it is no matter who starts our trial, whether man or devil or even our own foolish selves, if God permits it to reach us, he has by this permission made the trial his own and will turn it for us into a chariot of love, which will carry our souls to a place of blessing that we could not have reached in any other way. That's Hannah Whittle Smith. When God permits any trial to enter your life, whatever its source, 
whether it comes from outside yourself, such as a wrong done to you by another person, or an enemy, or an employer, or a government, or if the trial enters your life as a result of the enemy of God attacking you through things like disease or unexplainable obstacles, or if you're suffering because of your own bad choices or poor personal decisions, whatever the source of your trial, if God permits it, God commits to making it God's own and will turn it into the means by which you can be carried to the very heart of God. Such a perspective changes our relationship with all that we encounter because we can recognize that all things, all things can move us closer to God's heart and make us more ready to love the world God's given us to love. And it's from this place of secure uh, dwelling in the assured, assuredness of God's love and care that we can dare to say, thy will be done. We won't have to grasp. We can relax and receive God's goodness coming toward us in whatever form it comes. So I thank Jesus for modeling for us what to do when difficult situations arise. He gathered his friends. And I pray each of us has a community of people we can depend upon to lower our mat through the roof to the feet of Jesus. He got down and dirty about how he was really feeling about this cross thing. <laughs> and I hope each of us can have permission to be like Jesus and talk to God about what we're really experiencing in this situation, not putting a pretty face about it, not um, expecting something, us to, ourselves to feel something we don't really feel. First we have to feel it, and then we can let it go. And then from that place of letting go, we can absolutely trust that we will be provided for, that God has the good in store for the people we love and the situations we have to face. So I, that concludes my words, and I think I will just offer a prayer, if I may. And again, if anyone wants to hear a little bit more about this type of prayer or give it a practice, we'll be gathering in the lounge during the um, discussion time. So loving God, thank you so much that you have not left us without examples and have not left us without hope. Thank you that each of us needs what Jesus has shown us about how to face trials. I don't know what trials each of us are facing in this room, but you do. And your heart longs to hear each of our actual reactions to these situations we face. Nothing's off limit. All of us is welcomed in your presence, in your compassion and your grace. Train us to be more compassionate and graceful toward ourselves so that we can be compassionate and graceful toward people who are different than us, who we don't understand. Lord, increase our trust in your goodness. Together we pray in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.